On deck today for the Sports Mill Podcast, we have a sports potpourri or smorgasbord, if you will. Got a lot of topics to run through, starting with the NBA. Going to save some NBA draft talk and and recapping that for the next episode with Sully. But it's just me today, at least for the sports stuff. We're going to start in the NBA, talk about some free agency stuff, talk some Kyrie, although not for long because I think we've kind of overblown all that stuff. Then we're going to move into some golf, some disc golf. Uh, And then we're going to close with college football talk because we are only two months away, maybe even a little less, from the beginning of the college football season. It's time to start thinking about it and analyzing some of the teams and the players. We'll do that very quickly today. But the main point of this episode is we have about a 40-minute segment discussing something non-sports related. Uh, I have two very close family friends, Emma and Olivia Rice, with me to discuss uh season four volume one of stranger things reviewing that and then previewing volume two which is coming out on friday july 1st um and this is what i kind of want to do a little bit more of on this podcast obviously i'm a sports podcast i love talking about sports but i also like talking about other things as well i know that may be a shock to some of you that i don't constantly have some sort of uh sports thought in my mind or you know ball in my hand if you will i feel like most people who know me and but not really well when they have a conversation with me, they come up and they're like, hmm, what's the, what sports thing do I know that I can talk about with him today? And believe it or not, I can live my life not talking about sports. So hopefully this will be in that the right direction for maybe we can have some conversations about things, not all always about sports on here. So if you want to listen to that, it'll be about 30 minutes in. If you don't want to listen to any sports, we talk for about 40 minutes about season four of Stranger Things, reviewing volume one and previewing volume two. That being said, let's talk about some sports. (laughs) Uh, The first thing I want to talk about today is some things in the NBA. uh, And I want to start with the New York Knicks. A lot of people, you know, they're in New York. The Knicks are like the biggest franchise, if you will, even though the Lakers and the Celtics obviously are the most historic. But the Knicks, everybody wants them to be good, especially, of course, people in the media and in New York. Uh, We saw them kind of have a really busy draft night, but they didn't do anything. And Trying to figure out what all they did is trying to figure out rocket like rocket science. Uh, they pretty much essentially traded away the 11th and 13th picks. They didn't take anybody in the draft, really. And they just got a bunch of later first-round picks. But that wasn't really the goal of what they were doing. They were trying to clear cap space to make a run now at free agent guard Jalen Brunson of the Dallas Mavericks. And then they made another trade, uh, I think, uh, yesterday or the day before, uh, getting rid of several other players to ship to Alec Burks uh, was one of them and Nerlens Noel to the Pistons to clear the way so that they can throw almost a max contract, if not a max, at Jalen Brunson. And if you listen to, to any of the media at all, you, you've probably heard about this story. And <laughs> poor Jalen Brunson, like great player, you know, has really carved out a role for himself in the NBA. Um, and I feel bad for him because you got every major media platform you know, just on him and even, you know, me, a 21 year old with the mic and it's nothing against Jalen Brunson. Like I wish we weren't having to have this discussion, but I want to talk about very quickly the, both the problem and reasoning of overpaying in free agency for an okay player, right? Cause let's be honest, Jalen Brunson should not be your star player. You should not be throwing a max contract to him. He's great. He can handle the ball, do a lot, but he's undersized. He can't really create his own shot, or if he does, it's with a lot of footwork, a lot of dribbling, and he's not your star player. Like He's not going to bring you a championship. You know, He needs to be the third or fourth best player on a championship team, maybe. Um, and so, obviously, he's not going to solve all of the Knicks' problems, and so, therefore, that's why I, I kind of... 
I don't understand what the goal is here because if you pay Jalen Brunson the max, I mean, it's not like you have just a ton of room to go get a superstar later on. So I'm kind of confused by that. But I will say, I want to talk about, you know, quickly how, you know, we get on to these teams because not every team in free agency is going out and signing a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant. Only one team can win the NBA Finals every year, right? The Warriors won it this year. You know, I'm very disappointed that the Celtics weren't able to do it as a fan, but only one team can win. So guess what? That means every year, 29 teams are disappointed with how their season ended. Now, maybe you have some up-and-coming teams that are okay losing in the playoffs or or whatever that may be, but really only one team gets the ultimate goal, and so you're going to have to be okay with not winning it every year. And so, therefore, if you just want a decent team and make, and you know, you people have to realize, obviously, NBA fans want their teams to win a championship, but the NBA is a business. It's about making money. And so, if you just want your team to have a good product, sometimes you're not going to get the Kevin Durant's and the LeBron James's in free agency. And now, so that's where I, I both have a problem with the Knicks getting Jalen Brunson, but also I'm kind of on their side of, you know what? We have monies to spend. We like Jalen Brunson. We want a good product on the floor, and maybe you can build something with him and hopefully get some some better players later on. Um, and so people need to, especially fans, need to sit back and think about that. Like your team is not always going to win every year, and sometimes it's just about putting a good product on the floor. And Jalen Brunson's a great player, really good player. Like I said, I don't want to talk bad about him at all because that's not the case, but it's just the fact that if they're throwing a max contract at Jalen Brunson, I mean, he's not even a top, I don't know, I don't even know if I'd put him in the top 40, maybe in around the 50 range in the league. And that's a problem if that's your highest paid guy. Um, And so from that standpoint of trying to win a championship, if he's your star player, that's a problem. But at the same time, money has to go somewhere in the NBA. You have to fill out a roster. And there's only, you know, 10 to 15, I would say, superstars in this league. You know, the Celtics want Jason Tatum to be that, but we saw in the finals, he's not there yet. And so, therefore, you're going to have to pay some guys that maybe are not good enough to lead you to a championship. And so, when you see this spending in free agency, remember that money has to go somewhere. The Knicks have become infatuated with Jalen Brunson. And while I don't understand all those moves, he's their guy, I guess. And maybe he leads their offense, you know, this year and he proves he can do it. And maybe they try to go get some bigger stars in the coming years. And maybe this ends up being a good deal for Brunson. Of course, the Mavericks could still sign him, too. Obviously, they have uh, the ability to give him an extra year, uh, and so we'll see what he does. But money-wise, I think the Knicks are going to be able to pretty much throw whatever he wants uh, at him. All right, the other thing I want to talk about was the Kyrie problem, uh, and that's what I like to refer to it as. And my thing with Kyrie is is this. Obviously, you know, TV has to talk about something. People on ESPN, the producers, they have to make storylines, and they want to get people to watch their show. But my thing with Kyrie Irving is, who cares at this point? Do, should we even care about Kyrie Irving? After he made that shot in 2016 to beat the Golden State Warriors, obviously that is a legacy, you know, defining shot there, coming back from 3-1, playing with LeBron, beating the Warriors who had won 73 games that year. You know, great for Kyrie. But since then, what has he done that we should respect him for Next year has another solid year, but they get their their butts whooped by the Golden State Warriors in five games because Kevin Durant went and joined the Golden State Warriors after losing 3-1. Then he ditches them for the Celtics. And as a Celtics fan, at first I was very excited about Kyrie Irving. 
But then he goes there, gets hurt, and then tanks that team. We start to see how weird of a guy Kyrie is. And he essentially, thank goodness, the Celtics were able to kind of rebuild from that, but he could have ruined that franchise for a while. And it was looking like he was. And so we see him have two terrible years with the Celtics. He can't play with the team. There's a lot of issues. Well, then him and his buddy Kevin Durant, which, by the way, you know, was at that stockholders meeting for the Celtics saying he wanted to re-sign. That was a lie. So then him and his buddy Kevin Durant team up in Brooklyn, right? The, the antithesis to the Knicks, we're going to be the next team of New York. Then he gets hurt again. COVID hits, right? He's weird about that. He doesn't play. Fast forward to this year with all the vaccine stuff. You know, it's just we're talking more about Kyrie off the court than we are on, and that's a problem. And then you look at what he does on the court, and he hasn't really done anything there either. Yes, he can score the basketball. But really this year, even when he played, he did nothing worthwhile except have one good game against Boston in game one of the, of the playoffs where he scored, you know, 40-something points, whatever, had a really good game, got the, got involved with the crowd, and they still lost that game. So, And he went on to get swept by the Celtics. So really has done nothing. And so my thing with Kyrie is, should we care? He opted into his, his $37 million one-year deal, whatever, with the Nets. I don't know if I want... Obviously, a talent like Kyrie doesn't come along very often, and his skill is almost unparalleled in the league as far as the score. But when he's, has he proven, besides with LeBron in that one year, that he can win you an NBA championship? I don't think the Nets can. I, I still don't. And Kevin Durant's an amazing player, but he's getting older. He's a little more injury prone. You can't trust Kyrie. And so even though he opted in, and I, I've seen this, if you if you go, uh, go watch the video Brian Windhorst did, if I'm the Nets, I have to have full assurance that Kyrie Irving is going to buy into my team and that he's going to not be a problem this year and focus on basketball. And the thing with Kyrie is I can't trust that. There is there is a very low chance that that ends up happening where I get him completely bought in, he's sold on basketball, and we have a good shot to win a championship because I'm not sure they do even if everything clicks correctly. And so if I'm the Nets, I might sit down with him and be like, okay, you have two options. You comply with us, you play to the best of your ability for this one year, and then we'll reevaluate. Or if not, I'm gonna, we're going to trade you. And I would seriously consider if I'm the Nets trading Kyrie. Now, the thing with that is, what does Kevin Durant do? I think me and Sully are probably going to talk about that as well on this next episode. Um, if they trade Kyrie, but they still have Ben Simmons, I'm sure they could get something for Kyrie, even if it's not great. And so if I'm the Nets, I seriously consider uh, trading Kyrie. I just don't think that he is worth all the stress that he puts on a team and at this point, what he does on the court may be more of a problem than a solution. And that's another reason why I think I don't even know if I'd trade for him. I don't know what team out there I would be that I want Kyrie. You know, maybe the Lakers, if you can get rid of Russell Westbrook, yeah, that's an easy trade, right? I don't want Westbrook, but, you know, the Nets aren't going to do that. So at this point, I don't know. Obviously, Kyrie deserves a spot in the NBA because he's that kind of talent. But as far as being on a team and for what you have to pay him, I think he's definitely more of a problem than a solution. All right, let's move on from the NBA. Let's talk about some golf. I know a lot of you just love the sport of golf. Um, but I want to talk about what's going on kind of in the business side of it, in the overall sport, not really what's happening on the course. If you've paid attention at all or have even been 
you know, watching anything about golf, you've probably seen this new upstart golf league called Live Golf or LIV Golf that is starting to take some of the world's best players. I would probably put controversial there more than best. And they're continuing to take players away from the PGA Tour, creating more and more storylines, creating more and more animosity between the PGA Tour and the Live Golf League, the players still on the PGA Tour and the players defecting. And it's just really a nasty thing that I'm really scared for the game of golf because I think golf has been doing pretty well recently. Uh, You got a lot of really good young players. Tiger Woods is still a factor in the sport, even though obviously he got injured in the car accident and, and is now trying to kind of come back. But now this is kind of a, a, a spot on golf's record. And all these players who are going over to live golf are saying it's to grow the sport or, or whatever that may be. But let's be honest, it's, it's all about the money. They're getting offered an inordinate amounts of money to play less golf. And several of these players have never seen this type of money in their life. Charles Swartzel said after he won that first tournament that that was more money than he had made in like the last five years of being on the PGA Tour. And the thing about this is that you have to take some of the problems with live golf and and take them one at a time because there are some things that I understand. Does the PGA Tour have a schedule problem? Yes, they play almost every week out of the year and only the best players can afford to take off a lot of time. Do they have a branding problem? Yes, I mean, I think these players could be used in a lot better ways where they get to market themselves in a better way. And so there are things that live golf is promoting that I understand. Because you've seen players who have gone over like Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Pat Perez, who say, why wouldn't we come over to play for uh, more money and a lot less stressful schedule, strenuous schedule? We're only playing 8 to 10 events a year and we're making a ton of money. And I understand it from that point of view. If you want to go spend more time with your family, if you want to play not as much golf, because let's be honest, you know, no sport plays all year round really except golf then I understand it from that point of view. And I'm not an expert enough on the the human rights things. But I will say this, that at the end of the day, obviously money is not everything. And obviously where this money is coming from with Live, with Live Golf, with you know the Saudi public investment fund or whatever, personally, I, I could not do it, you know, just for the sake of me playing a sport. You know, getting paid all that money is not worth you know, necessarily losing a moral compass. And like I said, I don't know all the facts. But I think the issue more here is not that, oh, you know, live golf, how these terrible people are going to live golf. And I genuinely think, you know, it's hard for them because they're not seeing necessarily all these moral issues that people are talking about. They see the money on the table. They see a less schedule, more time to spend with their family, and it's an easy decision. And so, therefore, I think we have to you know, give these players some grace, even, whether, even though you can be critical of their decision. But I think more so what the issue should be that it should be talked about is what this is going to do for the game of golf in general because I think we're tearing it in different directions, right? What this is going to do is completely devalue PGA Tour events that aren't majors, that aren't the big events. And it's going to take a lot of eyeballs away from the PGA Tour because, let's be honest, nobody cares hardly about a lot of the smaller events anyways. You have the players and you have, you know, a couple of the other events that have kind of made a name for themselves. But overall, even a lot of the touring pros don't care about those smaller events. And so the PGA Tour is going to have to find a way 
to compete against Live Golf to market themselves in a way to where they're relevant, not just when the big events happen. And obviously, they've had a lot of you know the the better players, you know, have some stronger supporters like Roy McIlroy, like Justin Thomas. Um, explain why they are going to continue to play on the PGA Tour, but that's not enough, you know, obviously. And so that's what I'm worried about for the sport of golf in general is that this is going to, you know, instead of everyone being able to move forward together and grow, they're going to have kind of this split thing where one week I care about live golf, one week I care about PGA Tour golf, and you really don't know who to cheer for because there's all these events going on. And so that's going to be interesting, and I think what we're going to see is the PGA Tour, they're already trying to make some changes they're going to have to make it to where it's it's not as appealing to go play for uh, live golf because a lot of these players don't care if they miss the, the mini LPGA Tour events. They just want to play in the majors anyways at this point. And so they're going to have to find a way to tempt players to want to play on the PGA Tour full-time. Um, and we'll see how long that takes and what they can do to market their game. But I think in that sense, the PGA Tour is in trouble because, yes, they have the history, and that's what a lot of the players have stated. But at the end of the day, that's not enough for some of these guys who just want to play golf and make money. So we'll see where it goes. Obviously, like I said, a lot of the players who have defected were the ones that were expected, uh, like Brooks Kepko, like Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson, Patrick Reed. But if they start getting some of these players who you know, we wouldn't necessarily expect who are seen as some of the more, I guess, better guys on tour, then I think that's where we're going to have more and more issues. All right, moving on to our next subject. Like I said, a little bit of a smorgasbord today. Moving into the disc golf world. Uh, I know some people care about that. Some people still don't even know what it is, and that's fine. But obviously, the Pro Tour season has been going on for a while now. Um, And I think we've had a a pretty... It's both been a really good season uh, and a very kind of uneventful season to this point because the top players haven't played very well. And and I'll get into that, why that is very quickly. Um, but we've seen a lot of variability and the weather has kind of played a factor in that a lot of wind almost at every event, but this last week at the preserve, Bradley Williams won kind of a, a lower level player, if you will, hadn't won since the very first pro tour event. And I think that's really good for the sport. And we're starting to see a lot of these guys being able to practice more and more, play more and more. And we're not seeing the same guys win over and over again, which I think is great. It's going to bring like it's more interesting to watch if the same player is not winning every time. But at the same time, you need star power in the sport. You need recognizable names. And unfortunately, Bradley Williams is not one of those recognizable names. Now, thankfully for disc golf, Simon Lazat, who has uh, been out of the sport for a couple of years with injury, whatever it may be, has had an exceptional year. And in his last four pro tour events, I think he's gone second, first, first, third. Um, that's been amazing because he's probably one of my favorite players, if not my favorite player. And so to see him play well has been uh, very exciting. So I'm happy for the variability of the sport and that we're seeing a lot of different guys win. But the main problem this year has been injuries. And I haven't done a full a segment on this. I'm on why I think that's happening. And, and a lot of you probably don't care. But for the first time ever, I mean, injuries happen in every sport. And I know some of these top pros have been injured in disc golf. But it seems like almost every single one of the top players has been injured this year. And my question is, why now? Because I know they have more flexibility with their schedule and to take events off more now than ever. They were almost having to play every week until disc golf got popular because there just wasn't enough money in it. Now there is, and yet they're getting injured. And I think it's just because of that they're having to play so much when they are at tournaments, all these throws. 
the courses are getting harder and harder. And so we've gone from courses to where every hole is about 300 feet to these long par fives, long par fours. They're throwing as hard as they can in practice on the course all the time. And that just puts a lot of strain on your body. I mean, if you've never watched disc golf, disc golfers throw, it's a lot of torque on your body. And so I think that's why we're seeing some of these injured players is, you know, yeah, when Eagles only having to throw Eagle man, only throw a couple of really hard forehands, in a course, it doesn't bother him. But when he's having to throw that every hole, that builds up on your body and eventually you break down. So we've seen already Ricky this year have an injury. I know that's more to do with his Lyme disease. He's had to miss a couple of events. He can barely walk at times. Eagles almost missed the entire year with his shoulder injury. Paul's had injuries throughout the year. Even Calvin posted that his body wasn't feeling well a couple weeks ago. And so that's something disc golf is going to have to figure out. That as the sport continues to grow, as these athletes continue to become professional athletes at the highest level, the training is going to have to catch up. You know, you think about how much time NBA, NFL players spend on their body, on training, on making sure they can play at the highest level. That's what you have to do. And I know disc golf is definitely not as physically stressful. But if you're going to be throwing all these shots as hard as you can, putting that much stress on your body, then you need to have a training regiment that matches that. And we've seen all of the top players, almost all of them injured this year. Even some of, you know, the, the names that we know that aren't as high level players like, um, you know, Paul Uibari, Gavin Rathbun have missed extended time with injuries. And that's a problem disc golf, I think, is going to have to fix is how do we keep our guys healthy and at the highest level? Because not all of them have athletic backgrounds. So they're just not naturally athletic where they can stay healthy all the time, like Kevin Jones, like even Paul McBeth to some extent. And so the training is going to have to catch up and they're going to have to be able to recover. And hopefully we'll get a lot of these top players back um, from injury like Eagle, like Ricky. Um, And maybe going forward, we won't see as many injuries as we have. All right. One more topic we have to discuss, and that is college football. We are almost two months away, I think, from the start of the season. Uh, it seems like it's flown by since the national championship game, Alabama and Georgia, obviously, you know, tried to block that from my mind, what happened there. But, you know, looking back on it, I I do think Georgia at the end there had the better team, especially with us. You know, if we have John Mechie and Jamison Williams, I think it's a completely different story, but especially without those guys, Georgia probably had the better team. But going into this year, we have a, a completely different ball game. Alabama, of course, brings back Bryce Young and Will Anderson, a lot of really other good players. Georgia lost a lot on their defense. We'll be replacing a lot. Uh, there's a lot of teams to watch out for, but I really don't want to talk about the teams today. Hopefully, we'll break down that a little more as we get closer to the season. I want to go ahead and give you five players. We're going to have another edition of Miller's Pillars. Five players that you need to go ahead and have on your radar for this college football season. And I'm also going to talk about, I will talk about one team because I want to make an early prediction, an early call, and maybe I'll be right and can gloat to everyone looking back on it. Number one player I want to watch out for this year is Jackson Smith and the Jigba. And I could talk about Bryce Young and Will Anderson on them, but we know those players. I don't want to talk about Alabama. Everybody knows Jackson Smith and the Jigba. This isn't like a huge revelation who he is. Had 357 yards in the Rose Bowl last year. Uh, really dynamic wide receiver. He's not big, but he catches everything. He's really fast, really fluid. And he has C.J. Stroud coming back as his quarterback this year. And in the Big Ten, where they they obviously it's a good conference, but they do there's a lot of teams in there that aren't great. I feel like he could go for like 2,000 yards this year. We could be looking at a record-breaking uh, wide receiver season and maybe even um, 
maybe even some like Heisman Trophy recognition for for him. Don't know how how high he's going to go in the draft, but if he continues at the trajectory he ended on last season, he could go really high. And so even though I do not like Ohio State at all, most of the time, they they do produce a lot of really good players, and him and C.J. Stroud are going to be fun to watch this year. The number two player I have, maybe a lot of people haven't heard of him. He was a five-star recruit, running back Zachary Evans. Spent his first year at TCU, was kind of up and down. He, I don't think he liked the way he was utilized at TCU, and so he decides to transfer to Ole Miss and the Lane Kiffin Show. And I think he's going to be really good in the in the Ole Miss offense. And a lot of a lot of people don't know about Kiffin is like you know it's this up tempo offense that they think he just throws all the time. He had Matt Corral as his quarterback. Go look at their rushing stats; they're insane. They were one of the top rushing teams in the nation last year. They had Snoop Connor, uh, Jerry Ely, and so they like to run the ball and like to use their running backs, both handing it off to him and catching passes out of the backfield and so I think we're going to see a lot of that this year from Ole Miss um, and Evans could be the best running back in the SEC now I also should throw in there I do want to throw in there an Alabama player in Jameer Gibbs uh, because I think he could be a breakout star this year but I think Evans will succeed uh, a lot more at Ole Miss than he did at TCU third guy we should watch out for quarterback from Kentucky Will Levis uh Levis is a guy who's rising up a lot of NFL draft boards, projected to go in the top 10 area of the first round next year already. Obviously, a lot of that will d- continue to depend on how he plays this year. Levis is the prototypical quarterback size, 6'3", you know, 215 pounds, can sling the ball down the field, has all the arm strength in the world. He can run the ball, has some athleticism. But he kind of reminds me of this, you know, prototypical, you know, Josh Allen type mold where he's not super accurate, he makes a lot of bad decisions in college, and so he's going to have to continue to develop, and his decision-making is going to be the big thing this year. And unfortunately, he doesn't play for like a really high-level school like Alabama or Ohio State or one of those. He plays at Kentucky. And let's be honest, as good as Kentucky is in the last couple of years and becoming a team that can at least compete in the SEC East, they just don't have the weapons that a lot of these other schools have. And so Levis, unfortunately, will not kind of have the running back wide receiver group probably to be an elite elite quarterback but the tools are there and they probably will look like they translate at the next level remind you of somebody at wyoming i think so and so we'll see how well he performs this year like i said has to cut down on the interceptions from last year i think he threw like 13 or something like that way too many um but he has the size he has the athleticism and so will levis is definitely a guy to watch out for in college football this year all right, last two guys I want to talk about are on defense. Number four, Andre Carter, who is a defensive lineman from Army. You know, the service academies, you know, of course, you know, their main focus while they're there is while they're playing football is to play, but they joined the service academy to be to serve our country. So there hasn't been many prospects that we've seen come out of the service academies that have been high-level NFL uh, prospects, but that's not the case with Andre Carter. Like I said, it has insane size uh, at six foot seven, really long, lakey um, defensive lineman, and I think he could probably kind of climb up the draft as more and more people get eyes on him at, um, this year. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in the the latest mock draft on ESPN, they have him going thirteenth overall. He had fifteen and a half sacks last season playing for Army, and so we'll see how well he does this year, but that's a name, interesting story to watch out for, playing for Army, potentially going in the first round of the NFL draft. 
All right, last player I want to talk about, linebacker from Oregon, Noah Sewell. And he's probably heard that last name before. It's because he's the brother of, of Penny Sewell, the offensive lineman, who I think went seventh overall in the draft to the Detroit Lions. Sewell is, a, is another great player, just like his brother. Plays inside linebacker, six foot three, 251 pounds. And he can really do it all on the def- defensive side. You know, big size, but also really quick. And is a really smart guy. And so I think he is going to be another steal in the draft next year. Obviously, inside linebacker has become kind of a position that people don't really look for to draft. Um, but whoever gets this guy, I think, is getting a steal. So those are five guys very quickly. Just wanted to go through, kind of get your your interest peaked in college football. And wide receiver Jackson Smith, the Jigba. Running back Zachary Evans, quarterback Will Levis, defense end Andre Carter, and linebacker Noah Sewell. Five players to watch out for in the college football season. All right, now for my prediction. I'm calling it early. Looking at the SEC West this year, obviously I think Alabama is the best team. Would you have the two best players on both sides of the ball, probably in the country? Obviously I think you could argue C.J. Stroud. Might be a better quarterback, but Bryce Young has the pedigree. He's still a really good quarterback. Then you're going to be good. But looking at the rest of the SEC West, I think Arkansas could be the second best team this this season. Now, that's a hot take, and a lot of people love Texas A&M with their recruiting class. But to me, you have to prove that you can actually be good before we anoint you a really good team. A&M still has concerns on offense. They see, they can never seem to have a really good offense. Obviously, they have all the talent on defense, but they're going to have to prove it to me. And with the way, the thing that Arkansas is building, I know they have a good quarterback in K.J. Jefferson. I know they have some skill talent. They're building a better defense. I think Arkansas has a chance to be really good this year. They play Cincinnati early on. They play BYU, so they have a chance to make some statements there. And their two East opponents are South Carolina and Missouri, two very beatable teams. And so I think Arkansas could be the second best team in the SEC West. And that's my early call. I don't know if it's going to happen. Obviously, I'm not a prophet. But I've been good, pretty good at calling football stuff recently. i got a pretty good track record so far. And that would be my pick for the SEC West behind Alabama is Arkansas. Could be dead wrong about that. Obviously, a lot of people like Ole Miss. And I think they're going to be a threat as well. I think they're really dynamic on offense. Um but I really like what Arkansas is building, and they got a Bama boy, Drew Sanders, to transfer there as well. So they're building kind of a kind of a good transfer destination team, and you know I think they'll they'll continue to improve on what was a really good season last year. All right, that's gonna wrap up our sports talk for today, man. I I did good about what I said about thirty minutes in. Now we're going to move into the Stranger Things review for about forty minutes of it. I know once again I can't. I know you can't believe we're talking about something non sports related. I really hope you enjoy this, and seriously, if you have, if you like this, if you have any more suggestions for shows or movies that you want us to talk about, I love talking about that stuff as well. Uh, I will, I will say, the audio uh, at times isn't very great. I think Olivia and Emma cut out for uh, a couple seconds or so just because our, our connection was a little bad. So I do apologize for that. It may be hard to hear at times, but I still, even if it's if it's not great all the way through. I uh, wanted you to be able to listen to it as we talked about it for 40 minutes, and, and you can definitely get most of what we say. So I hope you enjoy this. We'll skip right to it after. We'll take a little bit break and skip right to it. But Stranger Things Season 4 review coming right up. All right, guys, welcome back. I want to try something different to close our episode today. I talk about sports pretty much all the time on here, but 
that's not my only interest in life. And so I thought, what better to do than maybe start reviewing and talking about some things in pop culture, especially shows and movies. So to join me to talk about the newest stra- newest season of Stranger Things, I have my first female guest. So Olivia and Emma, y'all should be um, very thrilled to be uh, the first females on this podcast. We're going to review everything that happened uh, in season four, volume one of Stranger Things, and then preview a volume two because it comes out, what, it, three days from now, July 1st. Um, so really excited for that. Um, so we'll just get right into it. Um, obviously, you know, Stranger Things has become kind of a worldwide phenomenon. So every time it comes out, people expect it to be really good. But, you know, this one, this season to me was a lot different than kind of what we've seen. So overall, how did y'all like season four, volume one of Stranger Things? Did it live up to your expectations? Or even though maybe it was different, did you still like it? I loved it. It was personally my favorite one since season one. And, like, that's saying a lot, because season two was really good, but season four so far has been my favorite. I really, I really like that one. It, it, yeah, it's, like, up there with season one, and that's, like, my favorite one. Yeah, I think th- what was interesting about this season is we've kind of seen them, like, young kids growing up, right? So they've always been in, like, the same town of Hawkins, and they've always kind of, you know, had to develop the storyline, you know, and they kind of work their way through but this one was more interesting because they're kind of grown up now. And obviously where season three left off, we saw, um, well, I, there's a bunch of them, but Elle and Will uh, and the buyers kind of go into California. So I thought what was interesting about this season was kind of the three different storylines. Obviously you had the kids in Hawkins and then I think they, they're like the California crew is what Stranger Things calls them. And then you had, you know, uh, Joyce and, and Murray and uh, Hopper in Russia. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, did y'all like that aspect of it, I guess, you know, having three different storylines that they could kind of bounce back and forth? I really liked it for the most part until there'd be like, there's always like one storyline in each episode. Like they hardly ever focus on. Like it kind of just depends on the episode. But, but for the most part, I liked all the different uh, storylines. Yeah, I mean, I think the one part that I would say is like I feel like you could have had this season um and this is just personal like just with the Hawkins people honestly like they that really made the the season. And I know like the bad guys obviously in that storyline, but I thought for the most part just personally that the California crew was they were eh. like there weren't many good good yeah. storylines from them. Um I thought, you know, obviously a Hopper being in Russia is kind of like an interesting storyline within itself, but um then I really didn't feel like we got anything from that either. So, I, I mean, obviously, I think they're going to tie it back in together when they all come back. But, um, yeah, I thought, you know, without – there was definitely, like, points in this the series where it was like, we don't really need to see those people anymore until they come back. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt with, like, the entire California storyline. Like, it just kind of felt pointless. I feel like nothing happened. Yeah, I didn't really like that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the other thing is that, you know, obviously Stranger Things, kind of the nature of it, they've they've decided like, okay, we're going to have like a bad guy every season or a new, you know, villain story. So we had, you know, kind of in, in season one, it was just kind of discovering the upside down. And then in season two, you had the Mind Flayer. And then three, it was kind of him again, but through Billy. Uh, and now we have Vecna, which I guess it's really, I realized this while I was preparing, but it's not really Vecna, I guess. They kind of gave him that name, but it's not him, right? Am I yeah, mistaken in that? 
Like I guess, yeah. I guess all the creatures that they kind of come up with, they name after the Dungeons and Dragons stuff, but it's not really them. So you know, obviously, we learned about his his real storyline at the end of the series, but even before that, you know, we can you could still you know obviously see what he was doing. So as far as bad guys go, what do y'all what did y'all think about Vecna? I really liked him. It was very like. I don't know. It was a lot darker. Yeah, it, was, it made it a lot darker than just. It was the way he did it. I don't know. I just thought he was a really good villain in general. Mm-hmm. And like how um, him with like how you found out he was the villain and like who he actually is and stuff like that. Like that made him even better. Like his origin story, I guess. Made him even better. Villain. Maybe it's a little bit more darker too. Yeah, I made it a lot darker. Yeah, I think like my my one question with him is like, well, why now? I guess like where was where has he been the past three seasons? That would be that. That's my one question with Vecna. Is that obviously like they tied it in at the end? Like, oh, that was really cool that he was, you know, which. I should have prefaced this at the beginning. If you haven't watched Stranger Things, don't listen to this because we're going to spoil a lot of stuff. But um, I liked how they tied it into like the Creole storyline because obviously that was, you know, he was like, where, how did, how was he there? And obviously him being the son and then he ended up being the one in, in um, the experiment. But I'm, I'm really confused. Like that happened when L was little. So what was he doing the past three years? Just like waiting, becoming stronger? Like, you know, obviously, I mean, it just seems very convenient that they were like, oh, we're going to hold you to season four and then you can be the bad guy. You know what I'm I saying? He, yeah, I think he was waiting for Eleven to get her weakness moment to strike. Yeah, I think he was trying to weaken Eleven as, most as, like, as much as he could. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, when she lost her powers, I think that was his way of yeah. waiting for the right moment. Yeah, because we saw that in season three with like Billy. He was trying to like destroy Eleven, and because I mean now it all like makes sense why they don't like Eleven. Everyone in the Upside Down. So I feel like he was waiting to get stronger, and for Eleven to get weaker, that would that makes the most sense. Yeah. It could be totally. Yeah. I mean. I- I don't know. That was just a little confusing to me. I mean, it makes more sense now that he has a personal vendetta against Eleven. But that's also weird that when he decided to kind of start... I don't know. It just seemed very convenient. Obviously, it's a show. So, like, they're going to make up narratives. And I'm sure they didn't have this, They didn't have this like, fully planned when they started Season 1. But, like, Eleven's not even there right now. You see what I'm saying? So, maybe I guess he's trying to draw her back. Maybe that's the the thing. But it's like, what what was he doing for the past, I don't know, since he's been in the Upside Down? Um, but I, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say there wasn't ever like a gate from the upside down to Hawkins until L opened it in season one, which is like when the Demogorgon came and got Will and all that, and then she ended up closing it back. So, and then after she closed it, that's when there was like the upside down in Hawkins. So I maybe there wasn't ever an opening for him to come into Hawkins, and then when he saw that chance, he was like, okay, now. Nah, for Al to get weaker. I don't know. That's just a theory I have that I don't. That, that's a good theory. Totally and that that's that's another question I had. I'm glad you brought that up because does does he does there have to be a gate open for him to like? I don't even know what you'd call what he does to people. 
like you know when he takes them over or whatever and then breaks all their bones and it gets really gory um yeah. but like I, when when can he do that because my thing was that you know if uh when steve and robin and nancy and all them go into the upside down right they find that gate that they can get back so why doesn't vecna just walk out of that gate you know what i'm saying like it seems like he wants to stay in the upside down almost um or maybe he doesn't know that he opens a gate i don't know but that that's that would be another question i have yeah or maybe he literally can't leave the upside down like or it's just some mystery that we don't know yeah i think yeah i mean obviously there's still a lot more that is going to be you know told to us i think in volume two and i think that's kind of what they're they wanted to set up is like we really don't know as much as we thought because obviously at the end of volume one like they taught in a lot of stuff because i mean i had no clue that one was going to be i kind of i kind of figured that the well i mean i I guess he was like an aide to the kids i kind of figured that he had powers but you know obviously i didn't think that he ended up being fecna but i'm really glad that it was not I mean, be honest with me. Did y'all think L was the one who murdered all those kids until the end? Yeah, I kind of did yes. too. And so, like, obviously, as it was going on, I was like, "Oh, it's obviously not her." When they were kind of when he told her to stay in that room or whatever. But, um, yeah, that was kind of that was a really good, obviously terrible, but a really good way to wrap up the storyline. It's kind of like you thought the whole time that was L, but it actually wasn't her. But I, I do think you're right and. This is why I'm glad we talked because I didn't even think about this. I think maybe like he's trying to get bring L back to Hawkins because now like she'll come back knowing that it's him. So that'll be an interesting yeah. storyline. Um all right. So I mean, did y'all I guess the question I have with that is like do you like how they kind of are rewriting the past? Like do you like the fact that they went back in time and pulled one like cuz they could have like we we started the series already past like season 1 started past that event, right? So do you like the fact that they're kind of going back and making up that one is the bad? Like, I wonder if I had a if I had to ask the authors like is was this always the plan to go back in time? Because really like they're kind of just making up more and more about how people got their powers. Yeah, I, yeah, me and my mom were actually talking about this not that long ago. Uh, I think it's good that they're doing it because we have, everyone has so many questions about Eleven and, like, her backstory and all that stuff. And, like, they tried to bring in her sister, which, and her mom, which, her mom was interesting. Like, her sister, they brought her in for an episode eight, and then, like, they didn't, like, they haven't mentioned her since season two. So, like, they've tried in the past, and now I feel like, the way that they're doing it makes more sense than they did with one or with uh eight her sister does that make sense yeah and my like, question is is um maybe y'all can answer this for me um like are all those kids how are those kids in the experiment like we know 11 was kind of i guess brought there and I know, like, the moms were experimented on, right? That's the thing. Is like I think they were given, like, LSD or something and then yeah. brought there. Okay, so, like, were the kids handpicked to be in the experiment then? Is that what it is? I think I, – I always thought it was, like, a bunch of women volunteered okay. to do that. That's just what I gathered from it, but I'm not sure. Yeah. That's what I always thought was just a bunch of women volunteered because all the kids seemed to be, like, around the same age. Yeah, but then obviously there's the ones that are older, and maybe those could have been like one 
they were taken from like families that tragic things happened to them or they might have some sort of ability or something like that. Yeah. Like one was. Yeah. The, I always thought it was the mom volunteered. Yeah, I think that's what it was. And I think it's making sense to me now, now that we're actually talking about it. Because I was kind of confused, like, why one tells 11, you're you're different than the others, right? He says that to her, like, you're like me. And I think it's because those other kids, which I did like how they brought this in, like, those other kids seem to get their powers from one, like, Brenner doing experiments on him and then him trying to, like, give them the powers. But it kind of seems like 11 has the powers naturally. Or at least some of them, which is why she's able to like fight one, and then I, I think that's kind of why he talks to her like he does. My other question is like, how did they didn't explain this, and maybe they will. I actually looked it up, and I did. They nobody seemed to know. Like they didn't really explain how one got his powers, or his name was Henry Creel. Like it's like, oh, he's a weird kid who likes black widows. He can move people up in the air and gouge their eyes out. Like. That was, it was just like, okay, he can do that? Like, I, I don't understand how he got his powers, so maybe they'll explain that. Yeah, I think that maybe he just, like, has it. Like, like, like just has it. Like, like, they were born with it, like, yeah. like X-Men or something? That's what I was so, They just have Right. It. And if that's the case, then okay, he just happened to be born with it. Like, how? Why? But then, like, so he just fa- figured out that he has those powers because he was a weird kid. That's just like, I don't know. Obviously it's once again, I'm looking too far into it. It's a show, but that's something that they were just kind of like, I just realized I was a really strange kid and then I could start killing animals. And it's like, okay, I guess this is how it's going to be. But yeah, I, I did like how they, they tied in like him, you know, he was kind of like the first one and then he kind of gave it to all those other kids. Um, all right. Enough time spent on that. We uh, I kind of got down my concerns there more than anything. All right, everybody, every season wants to talk about the new characters. And it seems like we brought in more new characters than ever in this season. I know y'all are probably... Uh, I can imagine y'all are fangirls of, the, of some of the guys in the show anyways. But it seems like from what I've seen that Eddie was kind of like the darling of this season. So how did y'all like, how did y'all like Eddie being incorporated into the show? I love Eddie. Yeah, I love him. Yeah. He's funny. And everybody thinks that he's like the tough guy. But in reality, he's yeah. like scary cat. Yeah, and like, yeah. I really, I just really liked him. You really see his character development. Yeah. Through the season. Yeah. You see him as like, in like the first scene with the, um, and like in the cafeteria and all that stuff. You think he's kind of like a psycho who's been in high school for like forever. Uh, but then, like, as the season goes on, you're like, oh, wait, he's actually kind of normal. And, like, he's actually really funny. He's actually a really good character. Yeah. I, he was my favorite out of all of them. Personally. Out of the new ones? Out of the new ones, yeah. Yeah. Not original, but out of the new ones, he was my favorite. Yeah, I think they do a really good job of bringing characters in that are different from what they already have. Right, so, but at the same time, normalizing them into the group. And what I guess what I mean by that is, is like, they do a good job of showing, and it's really just a good life lesson, that like, we all have something in common, right? So you have like, Eddie, who is like the weird Dungeons and Dragons guy, long haired, has a rough upbringing. And then you have like, Steve, who's like polar opposite, like, you know, preppy boy, rich family. 
But yet, really, they have a lot in common, it seems like. And they, you kind of see that as the show goes on. So, I, yeah, I thought they did. Although, it seemed like Eddie really didn't get a lot of screen time. Like, there was, like, you know, the first, like, middle part, he was just kind of, they were like, ah, hey, you can go hide in your little what Rick's cabin or whatever that was. Um, so, maybe we'll see. Yeah. We'll talk about this later, though. But I have my suspicions that Eddie is in trouble of, of being killed off. So, I hope. Not to break y'all guys hard or anything, but I, I think that might be coming, and we'll we'll talk about that why I think that in a minute. But anyways, um, so also uh brought into this season, uh, well, who was the new characters that were brought in? I guess. Well, obviously we had a lot of people were mad, were sad. Chrissy kind of died, but I think she was just kind of a means to an end. That's another question That's I have too. I guess is I guess. do we think that um that the people who were killed. Or I don't even know what you want to call it, Vecnud. Are they dead? Dead? I genuinely don't know. At first, I was like, okay, they're dead, dead. But then, like, you see them in the upside down with that one scene, like with Max in the upside down, like when she's about, when, like Vecna's about to kill her and stuff like that. So I'm really not sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm not either. That that'll be an interesting thing because they've also been I have a suspicion they've been dancing around it that one of the main characters is going to get Vecnad. So, if one of those does, then I think you can probably come back from it cuz I don't think one of them's going to get killed like that. Maybe I'm wrong, but um you know, I mean, obviously at the end, I think Nancy is still kind of in his little like dreamscape or whatever that is, but Anyways, um, who are the new characters? I, I I I made a list of them in my head, and now I've kind of forgotten. Um, what did what did y'all? Well, uh, I was gonna say there's Enzo, and then there's right. Argyle, Chrissy, Fred, and uh, Eddie that I can remember. Which one is Enzo? That's a bad. Oh, the the Russian guy. Yeah, I liked him. He was a good guy. Yeah. See the the Russian thing. I just like. I, the whole season, I only remember like the parts in Hawkins, and that's what I kind of mean. It's like, yeah, that was going on, but I don't even really remember anything that like Hopper escaped. His whole storyline was bad, by the way. It was just like we hope he escapes, but then he dies again. But he doesn't die, but he might. And then we're gonna try to kill him with a demigorgon, but he doesn't die. And so that was like all going on. Murray is one of my favorite characters, though. I will say, I love that guy. I thought they do a yeah, good job of him. Yeah. Yeah. Which leads, uh, I guess, to, um, you brought, uh, how did, yeah, so, I mean, they kind of introduce a new character in every storyline, I guess. So I'm wondering if how long Argyle is going to last, too. You know what I mean? Because if they come back to Hawkins, is he going to move to Hawkins? Like, I, that man could be in danger of being yeah. killed off, too. I don't think they'll kill Argyle off. Out of all of the new characters, I don't think they're going to kill him off. I think they're going to kill. Oof. Yeah. Steve, they might kill off Nancy. Uh, personally, that's what I think. You think Nancy's I'm dead? I don't think Nancy's No, Nancy's not going to die. But I think... Um, no, I think, I think Steve is going to try to save Nancy and he dies in the process. That's what I think, personally. Y'all are reading into those posters, aren't you? Did you see all that stuff online about his bike light being out and stuff? 
No. no. I didn't see any of that. It's just like the way it's going. That's just how I feel like that's what's going to happen. Okay. Just the way that everything's going. Yeah. They released like a like a poster and it like uh there it's there's like the Hawkins one where all the Hawkins kids are in it and then there's one of the upside down people and they're riding those bikes and everybody has their lights on except Steve and so everybody's like oh Steve's gonna die because his light his lights aren't on I don't know it's you know how Twitter is and social media in general um but yeah I've never I've never even seen that. I think they, like, just came, like, the posters were released, like, yesterday or something. All right. Yeah. All right, before we get into, uh, to the, um, kind of the last stuff and what, what we think is going to happen, um, how do you, what were, who were y'all's favorite characters from this season, just overall? If you had to, you know, if, even talking about the old people, was there anybody that you thought had, like, a really good season? I like Robin. She's always been my favorite. Like, since she was introduced, Robin was my favorite. Um, I really like, uh, obviously, I love Max and Lucas. Those were, like, my three characters that I loved this season out of all of them. Those were the ones that I loved. I think they're kind of trying to, like, give some of the characters they haven't in the past more screen time. Because, like, Mike has become, like, went from the main guy to... I mean, he's still like, I guess, the guy in the California crew, but they didn't hardly give him any screen time, and maybe that's yeah. like kind of a build up. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that they're doing that though because he had so much of like good characters. Yeah, yeah, he's always he's always kind of yeah. I always saw yeah, I always saw him kind of like the glue of the friend group. Like he's the he's the guy that held everyone together, and now he's like the backdrop. Yeah, yeah, they've changed his character a lot because in the first season he was like the sweet kid who like wanted to take Ellen, and yeah, it was like the kind of different from the other group. And now that's kind of changed, like to the point to where he's like the mean jerk, and he's kind of been that for a couple of seasons. Like I don't, Mike's probably one of my least favorite characters in the show now, honestly. And it's not his fault, but it's just the way they've written him. Yeah. At this point, I'm ready to be like, "El, you should go find you another man." I mean. <laughs> I just think Mike's boring now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Personally, my favorite scene, which I'm I'm gonna be really basic here, but I mean I think if the my my favorite episode was episode four, with with dear Billy anyways, but the scene obviously where Max like the the ultimate scene there at the end that was probably to me the best Stranger Things scene ever. Like I've watched that like ten times. Really? Really? Yeah. You don't like that? No, I like that scene. It's it's up there with one of my favorites. Yeah. Mainly because of the music and like the cinematography. Right. That's what I mean. I'm a sucker. So you know, I'm in media, so like I'm a sucker for stuff like that. So the fact that they picked that song with that scene, and then like it's also like it's symbolic, is it not? Come on, y'all. I know y'all. It's like she's getting over her grief. She's running up that hill. And then she, and I liked how like, you know, normally when it's like, don't go towards the light or whatever, that's like death. Well, in this case, going towards the light was like the way to get back to reality. So I don't know. I'm a sucker for like parallels like that. So what was y'all's favorite scene then? What, what did y'all like? I like the ending scene with um, one and 11. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. But I thought it was really like cool to watch. 
Yeah. Mine was probably the one, it's like in the first episode, it's the, it's the drug deal between Chrissy and Eddie. I don't know why, but that is just such a good scene, because it's like two unlikely people. She's like, she's like on, yeah, she's like popular girl on the cheer, on the cheer squad, and then like, the guy that's runs a yeah the freak that runs a D and D club they're coming together and like yeah they're like really hitting it off and like the actors had really good chemistry and yeah. it was like oh we're setting up for like a for like a new couple and then like she dies but that scene in general was just really good yeah I actually saw a, a story about that about how they filmed the the scene between Eddie and Chrissy like last. And they didn't realize how good of chemistry they had or else they would have thought about keeping her alive. Now, that could be fake, but I, I did see that, that they, they didn't realize that until they had already killed her off. And they're like, well, too late now. Um, I saw that on TikTok, I think. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, that, that was interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, like I like the big scenes, but. I also thought, I mean, I just thought episode four was good in general because in that see, uh, in that episode you have the shootout uh, where the cop who acts like he was just lazy all of a sudden is like like Jason Bourne or James Bond or everyone thrown there is killing everybody up in there. And then uh, that was also where you had, what else happened? Oh, the, uh, where they go to the, the insane asylum. And I thought that was a really cool scene too where you kind of figure out how everything happened with the Creels. Um, but I thought that was interesting how they kind of like they say, you know, he doesn't know he that he didn't know that it was his own son. He actually thought it was like some demon or whatever. So that was interesting. Too. Interesting too. All right. Um, let's talk about the finale then. What's coming up? Um, which, by the way, I guess it's two episodes. Is that what we're? I have it. Yeah. I should do more homework. So, but they're like two. Yeah, but they're like two and a half hours. Yeah, we're getting like yeah, movies. That's what cracks me up about this is like they they started out like season one, season two with like forty minute episodes, and now we're just like we're gonna release like eight movies, <laughs> and then everybody just watches them in like a day. Um, all right, so I have five questions for the finale here, and we talked about a lot of stuff, which we can we can talk about more. We already we've already hinted on it. I've seen a lot of stuff about how there's gonna be like a lot of people die. I don't know if it's true or not, or there's going to be a lot of carnage. That was the term. So I don't know. Hopefully y'all don't know what betting is, but normally they do like one, they do a 0.5 for, you know, that way you can pick a whole number. So if you had to guess, are we over or under one and a half people are killed off? So two, do you think two or two are going to be killed or is it going to be less than two? I think it's going to be more than two. I think it's going to be more than two. Yeah, more than two. And I should preface, I, I mean in like main characters here. You think there's going to be more than two? Yes. Yeah. Right. I do. All right. Well, then names. I mean, they have. Okay. Okay. I think. Steve. Yeah, Steve. I'm, and I'm thinking. I'm thinking Steve, and I'm thinking Will. I think Will's going to die. Think, no. I think they're going to put him out of his misery. I think Will's going to die. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, yeah. Will. Steve. I also think Dustin. Oh. Trying yeah. to save Steve. Hmm. Uh, I don't know about that. No, I think Justin will make it because it would make for better, like, sadness, add sadness to the show because Steve and Justin were such good friends. And I, at this point, I don't even know what to think. 
Eleven might even die. Who knows? I think Eleven's gonna die eventually. That's what I just said. I said I think Mike. Or no, I said Will. Sorry. I think it all depends. I know for I know. You know for sure what? Oh, I was gonna say I know for sure that uh, Steve and that um, Will are probably gonna die. Definitely. You say that but, so matter of well, fact. I mean, I just have a feeling. I mean, I feel like I I'm not saying Steve is out of the question, but I feel like they've worked too hard to like make him a main character. Which I my next question okay. is also about Steve and I which is one reason I don't think we're going to see him. Well, I could see him being killed actually because of this. Um, but like the whole thing they've done this season with him and Nancy again, which I'm not like a huge fan of, even though I love Steve, but it's like, I guess that's the way to in the, in the battle is like kill Steve off. But that's going to be something I have a question about is like, I don't know. I'm also a sucker, even though I'm a guy for like the romance stuff. So if Jonathan comes back, which I think we're going to probably see a reunion, that's the whole point of them going off and finding Susie or whatever. Then like what what's gonna happen? They can't have a conversation like mid battle. Like, hey, can I have your girlfriend back? I know y'all are kind of on you know a tough time here. So I mean, how do y'all think that's gonna resolve? I mean, obviously if Steve dies, that kind of clears the way. But at that point, I don't know if Nancy stays with Jonathan. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think Nancy. Yeah, as much as I want Nancy and Jonathan to be together, because like we, I've shipped them since like season one, and we had like a whole. For, like, for the show. Yeah, and, like, yeah. The way this season has gone, like, with their relationship, and, like, the, even the way they kind of, like, talk about each other and how they really were, like, making up excuses to not see each other, I feel like, sadly, they're not going to be in game. Yeah. And, yeah. I, yeah. I don't mind, I don't mind the Steve and Nancy thing. Uh, just because, I don't know. It's not bad, but then I'm like, oh, but Jonathan. Yeah, I really like marriage. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think also part of it is the real life stuff. I'm not going to lie. I think that that creates people's mindsets is that, you know, they're a couple in real life or whatever. But I don't mind Steve and Nancy. But at this point, it's like, what was the point of the first three seasons if we're just going to yeah. get back together? And by the way, like I was, I was rewatching kind of some of the episodes, uh, just when I had free time. And Jonathan, I mean, I, I, I thought this at the time, but Jonathan is creepy in season one. Like, obviously, yeah. you know, they weren't, you know, Steve and Nancy, whatever. You sh- probably shouldn't have been doing what they were doing, anyways. But like the fact that he was sitting there spying on him, like that's a little it's creepy. Pictures. Yeah. So I mean, Jonathan's a little bit of a creepy dude, and obviously, like I, I don't know. I find it hard to believe Nancy would approve of him, like being a druggy which he seems to be in california so i think they're so already think they're like yeah kind of laying the foundation for like okay maybe let's let's get them apart but that's another reason why i don't i don't know if steve is gonna die because i feel like i feel like they're gonna be a thing i don't know maybe i'm tripping there kill him off because they've had so much of a build-up i don't know it's kind of like irony almost like they're building it up yeah. just for it to like become nothing yeah all right so i'll tell you why i think eddie's gonna die because <laughs> why how how do we get out of his situation 
there's no way out. I, I can't see a scenario to where he doesn't end up being arrested. You know what I'm saying? Um, because obviously the the town kind of knows now that like, oh, we have a devil in Hawkins, I think is what they called it or something. But they're obviously not aware of what really the upside down is. So they're going to blame Eddie. So what happens when they win or whatever, you know, they make it out alive, which, I'm, you know, obviously the show must go on. So I, I imagine it's going to have a semi like resolution where they win. Um, like, how is Eddie going to keep going if he's in jail? And so that's why I'm concerned. Like, I don't know how he's how he makes it out alive. That's my theory, at least. I kind of saw that on social media, too. It's like, I don't know how he gets away from the police part of it. Yeah, but I also feel like because of, like, how big everything is with the Upside Down and with Vecna, it's not just the Demogorgon anymore. Like, just affecting the people. Okay, yeah, like, the Demogorgon killed, like, Barb and it killed it and Bob and stuff like that. But, like, last season, like, it was still contained. Almost like the people of Hawkins didn't have to know, but I feel like Vecna's storyline and everything that's happening is so big and it's affecting, yeah, it's affecting everybody. I feel like it's gonna come out that like what the upside down is and they're gonna realize, oh, Eddie didn't actually kill Chrissy, and I feel like that'll get him out of jail, you know? That's what I was gonna say. Well, if that happens, that's that's great, but I just I don't know. I don't know if they take that jump to where it's like, oh, everybody knows about the Upside Down, though. Although that would be a good lead-in, I guess, because, you know, they say there's only going to be one more season. I mean, that would kind of, I guess, be okay then if if everybody knows for the last season. But, yeah, that's an interesting part of it is, like, I don't know what's going to happen with him once this is re- this is resolved. But I guess you're right. That's interesting. I still don't think, like, I have a hard time believing they're going to kill off one of the four kids. Um, like one of the originals. I you, yeah. I really don't think I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't see Will being killed. I don't. I don't see Will being killed. I feel like the Duffer brothers are harsh enough. Like they're they love their characters, but like not enough to keep them alive at this point. Yeah. Maybe like two seasons ago, but at this point, like they're pre- yeah they're pretty good story writers, and personally. I've read a lot of books and I've seen a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows. If, as sad as it is, if a character doesn't die, if there's a big cast of characters and one of the main characters, or at least like one or two of the main characters don't die, then the ending doesn't feel very satisfying. And I feel like the Duffer Brothers are good enough writers to know that. So they're like, okay, like, I don't know, it just doesn't feel realistic if they don't. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get you. I just, I think then that it's going to be one of the characters that has, well, and this gives credence to your idea issues. Like if Vecna is the bad guy, then it's probably going to be somebody who is kind of susceptible to him. And I really don't know where Dustin fits into that, but I guess will probably does. So like in that sense, like maybe it is him. I, I still think Max might be in trouble, but I don't like, I don't know if that was like a, she's safe now that she got over that hump in the episode where she kind of beats him or whatever. But I don't know. I, I don't know if she's safe either at this point because she's not one of the main characters. But then again, I really like what they've done with her and uh, Lucas this season. I think you're right. They're, they're two of the better characters. 
Which also, one of the newer characters, I think his name's Jason in the show. The show's like, I'm a fan. I don't even know. The the jock who's the basketball guy. His yeah. storyline is terrible, which I know you kind of have to have that. Like, you kind of have to have that guy who's like the beeline. But, like, well, it just seems so, like, like little when you're having the fight like Vecna. And then here comes Jason. Like, oh, let's, let's get the, the evil kids. You know, it's okay. But... I don't know. I saw in the trailer, which I'm sure y'all have seen, that like Lucas is just beating him up. So we'll see where that happens. I'm, ex- I'm actually very excited about that scene. <laughs> well, it cracks me up because, you know, him and Lucas are like, we're okay. Obviously, he kind of ditched them there at the end. But that'll be interesting to see like how they get to that point. And why is he even still in the storyline? That's awesome. <laughs> Like, I know they didn't stop, like, hunting. But, like, I just wish they'd be like, okay, you're going to sit this one out while the big boys play. Yeah. Oh, I saw that was another thing on social media. I was like, we need less Jason, more fill in the blank. And it was like, yeah, kind of how it should go. All right, let's wrap up here with a couple more things. Obviously, Elle is like the, I mean, I I guess we'd say she is the the main character of Stranger Things. Without Elle, I mean, there's not really anything else. So obviously, I think, you know, they're kind of setting her up to come back with her powers, which I think she has back maybe i don't know i think the point is is like she kind of has them back she kind of doesn't and that's kind of going to be like the big thing is like is she able to beat one with like half her powers um but you know what do you think her storyline looks like are we going to kind of get because like they've they've been pretty consistent except in season three like she always kind of comes back and saves the day so is this going to be like a a, like the opposite of season three where she you know kind of got taken out at the end this time she kind of comes back and saves the day or we headed towards kind of like a letdown here I think she's going to save the day in volume two, but by the, but by the end of season five, like whenever that comes out, I don't think she's going to look like this is really far in the future, but I don't think she's going to, by the time the series finale is, season finale finally comes, I don't think she's going to live through the last season, but volume two, I think she'll make it through volume two. Yeah. And I think she'll like come in at the last second and be like, Save the day at like the last second type thing. I think I don't think she'll make it through like to the end of season five. I don't think she's, I think she's gonna die. In season five. I think I think you're right. Just because like I don't see a normal life for her. You know what I mean? No. Like, it seems like they've trying to say, like, oh, we're going to get Elle to, like, move on. And she, like, gets out of this superhero gig. And every time she does, you know, it's like she's kind of always connected to the upside down. And I think the storyline they're trying to play, and I think you're right, is that as long as Elle is around, there's always going to be a bad guy, if you will. Like, because they've kind of, they, they showed that in the last episode, like, she's connected to the upside down, right? So... I do think you're right. Like the problems aren't going to stop until she's dead, which is terrible. But I also think like like you're saying, like that's like a satisfying ending, if you will. It's like in her death, like all the problems kind of stop. So yeah, I could see that happening in season five, but I kind of think in this one, yeah, she's going to come back and like have her little moment under the sun where, you know, we see her like doing the forest with her nose bleeding. You know, that's like the favorite shot. It's like, yeah, just trickling down. But I definitely think, you know, they're going to have, like, obviously, I think it's kind of going to be like a Vecna, her showdown, you know, seven years later or whatever. Um, But, yeah, I think they did a great job of kind of building that up. All right. And then finally, do we think Vecna, is this like his season and then this is like a one-off, like he's dead at the end of the season? I don't think so. You think he comes back? 
Yeah, I don't think at the end of the season they're going to fully, uh, like, defeat him. I think they're going to wound him enough for him to, like, go back into his hole and hide until the next season. Mm. The, but he's not going to be, like, the, car- the villain of the next season. I think it's going to be him oh. and the Mind Flayer together. Yeah, the Mind Flayer isn't he, like, he, he's the ruler. Yeah, he, there. like, yeah. That guy's just the general. Yeah. Yeah, they, they said that, but we... Is that true? Like, we got that. I think Dustin said that, but do, I don't know that we know that. Because well, wouldn't he... It doesn't seem like that he's working for the Mon Flayer necessarily, or at least that's not what they show us, which maybe, once again, they're kind of building up to that. But it's like the Mon Flayer hasn't really seemed to be... They haven't even hinted at that, besides him saying it. Yeah. Well, the Mind Flayer is, at least the Death Particles, it's in, it's in a shot in one of the... Um, uh, in the trailer okay. for the next volume. So, I think... You have to have someone working for yeah. which is that guy. Yeah. yeah. And, maybe, and I think maybe that's what they're kind of building up to in this, is maybe it's not just Vecna they're fighting here in this last volume. But, I don't know, I don't... what it, What's the possibility that uh, it's like a he-turns-good scenario here? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I don't... L obviously... Not high. Okay. L obviously no. kind of banished him to the upside down where he was already bad. But, like, I don't know. I just kind of wondered about that if... But, yeah, now that I'm saying it, it's like they, they've they made it obvious he's a pretty terrible guy. So, don't think he's going to make it out. But, um, you know, that is what cracks me up about stuff like that is, like, you kind of... Before you found out that one was Vecna, you kind of fell in love with one, and so now it's like all these like girls on like social media like love what whatever his name is, uh, Jamie Bowers I think is his name. Yeah. It's like he's terrible, and we're like, you know, we treat him like Steve and Eddie almost. Yeah. But. Yeah. I see. I can't get on that train. There are some things like with certain shows, like the characters are all like really bad, but like the actors themselves are like they're like cute actors or whatever, and. They have some sort of redeeming, charming quality. Like, and a lot of people like them. Most of the time, I can get on the bandwagon. The one, I can't get on the, ba- the bandwagon for him. I think it's I think it's the actor that played him. Because I've seen him play, like, creepy characters and other. Creepy characters in Twilight. Yeah, he played, yeah. like, a creepy character in Twilight. I just saw him as a character yeah. the whole time. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like I associate his character with, like, just something creepy in general. Like, I don't associate with anything charming. He has no charming redeeming qualities, personally. Well, I liked him in the beginning, before I knew that he was that. I liked him. I was like, oh, he's like, he's like a big brother to her. Like, he's trying to help her. Help, but really, he's just using her all the time. But then, like, when he, like, turned around and was bad, I was like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what the show was designed to do. They sucked They sucked you in, Emma. That was the point. You're supposed to like him, and then you hate him at the end. Yeah, he's a creepy guy. Like, I'm not really, like, obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy, so I'm not like, oh, this that, I'm, I'm in love with whoever. But, um, like, I never really liked his character, even at the beginning, because, like, he's just creepy. Um, But, yeah, I think that it's funny to me how, like, almost you like Vecna just because you like the actor, which I don't think anybody is like that. I even saw Stranger Things post that. They were like, uh, you, it's possible to, to hate Vecna, but, like, Jamie Bowers or whatever. And it's like, mm, I don't know about that. Um, but anyways, 
Uh, we, we've done a good job, I think, of covering the, the finale and the storylines. Is there anything else, you know, you think we need to talk about as far as how that's going to go? I mean, do we think they all end up in Hawkins, like, permanently after this again? Like, the whole trying to move them out of the country is kind of gone. Because I think, I think when Hopper comes back, too, which I assume he makes it back, that might be too much of an assumption. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know if they're going to be stuck in Russia forever. But I kind of think we're going to, like, get the final season, like, all back together again. in case anything happens, because everything's surrounded by Hawkins' lab. So they're going to have to protect the people in Hawkins because yeah, you the can't, portal's in the Yeah, and you can't do that outside of and Hawkins. you can't do that outside of Hawkins. Yeah. And so, since they're familiar with everything, we can protect it if they're in Hawkins, not if they're outside of Hawkins. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of where we're going for season five, is like, they're finally going to come to the realization that you can't run from like the the problem and like 11 is kind of just always going to be tied to the upside down and so we're going to get like a a final like whether she dies or not like this is there's going to be like a final thing where it's like we either have to cut her off from that or yeah she ends up being killed so i think you know it's obviously all the kids are getting older but i think they've done a really good job of like aging them into the show and especially obviously the content has gotten a little more darker but they, you know, obviously, I don't really think we've had a problem with them getting older, so that's been that's been good to see. But yeah, I mean, they're kind of reaching that point. Like, what's his name? Uh, Joe Keery is like thirty years old, so I mean, they can't go on with the show for that much longer before it's he starts to look like a dad. Yeah. Yeah. All right, y'all got any more things before we close up? Thank y'all so much for coming on. I enjoyed talking about it. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. All right. So you think? You said season four is the best at season one. Would you would you grade it number one? It's up there with one. Yeah, it's up there with it's one. Up there. Like one not better than the other. Like, it's, like it's Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like what they did. I really do, and I think a lot of the new characters really helped with that. So hopefully we get a, a good resolution. Not everybody dies. I'm gonna be really sad if Steve dies. So that's how we're gonna end. We're gonna end the episode with. Pray for Steve that he does not die. Like I, anybody else, I, I just don't want it to be Steve. They've they've taken his character to like too much. But maybe that's the whole point of killing him off is like he can die peacefully, being a good character. I don't know. Anyways, all right, that's gonna wrap it up for our discussion. We we did a good a, a good bit on the show. Uh, thank y'all for coming on. Like I said, my first female guest. So I hope y'all enjoyed it. Y'all did really good. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Obviously, a little bit different from sports, but hopefully I'll do a little bit more of this and maybe more people enjoy listening to me instead of just talk about stuff people don't care about. Everybody likes Stranger Things, right? Um, So once again, thank you all for coming on and uh, we'll see you next time.